Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome to Behind the Drive Shirtcuts, Volume 65. My name is Douglas McLean. Our guest today is Jamie Oppenheimer. Jamie Oppenheimer has spent his whole life pursuing the art of songwriting, both as a recording artist and a songwriter for fellow musicians. His songs have been recorded by local Muskoka artists Paul Lagendyke, Juan Barbosa, Paul Newen, and Richard Phillip. January 2022, he releases a new album with Bobby Cameron, Songs from Room 421. Please welcome Jamie Oppenheimer to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. So I have a whole bunch of questions for you, but we can just sort of do it in a kind of a conversation. But the the main thing I'd like to kind of establish is, uh, you know, the period of your earliest development, that would be the thing that sort of... Uh, would be very interesting. So can can you take us through that part of your life? Like, were you from a musical family or uh, did you have something in your... I was not. Uh, no. In fact, I, my, father, my father was a frustrated writer. Uh, he, he wrote for the Cornell Sun and he was, uh, he was an editor. Uh, but he, he didn't make his living writing. He just loved to write. And he passed that that love onto me. And uh, from the age of about 12 or 13, I started to take an interest in creative writing and wrote a lot of bad poetry. Uh, it wasn't until I was around 20 that I really started writing songs. Um, and that was just, uh, I, I've been playing the guitar since I was around 14 or 15, but I'd never really penned a song until I was around 20. And um, the first couple of songs were pretty rough. Right. I, the first song I ever wrote was a commemoration of uh, the birth of a friend's daughter. Okay. A song called Milk and Beer. And uh, from there, I just, I liked the process. I found it challenging. And uh, so I just continued to do it. Let's, de- let's delve into that a little bit um, because that's kind of interesting. So what did your dad write? Was he... Um... Like was he a journalist? Well, he was or? a he was a journalist. Oh, I mean, really? That, that was that that was his uh, love. I mean, I think he would have been a newspaper man if he if he could have made any money at it. Yeah. And uh, he was a good writer, a beautiful letter writer, and uh, uh, not not poetry, not not creative writing, not short stories or anything like that, but uh, purely an- analytical journalism. Really. Um, Wow. But he had a brilliant uh, mind, and and he was good a good describer. Right, and, and but that's not what he did for a living. No, he sold industrial real estate, oh. as did I. I worked in the family business for twenty five years. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so um, now, what inspired you to start playing guitar? What was the? Uh, do you remember what the spark? Oh, was I've from? I've loved. It's funny. It was a. <laughs> you're gonna laugh at this, but it was probably. Uh, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> hearing the Herman's Herman's Hermits, uh, play that song. It made me want, I, the first stringed instrument I got was a, uh, a baritone ukulele. Oh, okay. And, uh, I wanted to imitate that sound. Yeah. And, um, that, that, that's the very first stringed instrument. And, uh, shortly thereafter I started taking lessons at 
Sedola's music on in the West End of Buffalo. Right. Uh, pl- played guitar. T- uh, took took lessons for about two years and hated it. Yeah. And, what? And really yeah. put down the guitar for a couple of years after that. Right. Did they did they actually play that I, on I a just, bare t- baritone? Um, I th- was it a baritone ukulele? Uh, no, they didn't. But I thought I thought that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I still have that ukulele. Yeah. But, uh, I thought that was the the sound that they were that they were creating, and it was actually an electric guitar. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was probably nine, ten years old at the time. Yeah, I always thought it was ukulele, like, but a tenor <laughs> or like a high string one. Um, yeah, that's kind of an interesting. Well, they certainly influenced a lot of people around that age, right? Thirteen, twelve, thirteen, man. Well, was... and you know, we everybody wants to be a pop star when they're ten years old. Right. But I, I really, um, I, I fell in love with the guitar, but I hated the structure of reading music. And and I mean, I spent a, six months playing the Volga Boatman. Uh, I hated it. Um, so I gave that up and, and really became self-taught. I had the, the fundamentals down and uh, I had a chord chart. And really, if you're inclined, that's a good start. Yeah. It, it would certainly have helped me to, to have a good guitar teacher, but I had a very bad one and um, it almost turned me off guitar altogether. Yeah. Well, your guitar playing is quite unique, actually. I wanted to talk to you about that because... Um... You approach guitar in a very, in a different way than most folks do, because you tend, it seems to me, you tend not to play very often in standard tuning. I could be wrong on that, but uh, uh, right. it, you seem to have your own. No, no, that's very tunings. correct. I, I, I play a lot of songs. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, so? I play a lot of songs in Dadgad. Okay, and how did you discover Dadgad? Because that's you know kind of Irish and and you know that sort of uh, vein of music. Well, I don't know. Um, um, I'm not sure. I, I I was fooling around with different tunings. Okay, and. Um, I, I, of course, I started off with a conventional tuning right. and uh, a lot of songs. I, I, I would say that probably 60% of my songs are, are dad gad. The rest are in conventional tunings or drop D or drop G. Right. And uh, I just fool around with different sounds. I, I love when uh, Joni Mitchell was really my inspiration because she, she played in so many different kinds of right. tunings. And I realized that you could get so many unique chords out of, out of open tunings and, and, uh, altered tunings right and I, I didn't really have a, a playbook for that i just went by ear yeah and not did you uh did you have some sort of basic understanding of intervals or harmonic uh you know like chord structure did you know how to build a chord or you just just did it by feel or sound like uh i feel yeah wow. really it's intuitive with right. me i i have absolutely no knowledge of musical theory right Sean is the one with the musical theory background. No, because uh, a lot of people have, uh, you know, have uh, tried to um, analyze, you know, how Joni Mitchell did that. But there's always rumors that she kind of learned some of this from other people, but nobody's quite sure how she, who she learned it from, because uh, like guys like David Crosby and. Uh, that but Michael Hedges apparently was influential in there somewhere. Did you ever listen to him? Did you ever hear him? No, I didn't. No. Uh, but now that you mention it, you know I'm always 
open to learning new new artists. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they were all around at the same, uh, that, same time. I certainly do learn from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they were all around at the same sort of time in that early 60s period, kind of learning that craft. And uh, But he took it into overdrive, right? <laughs> I mean... He would he would play songs with right. like four four a he would tune his guitar he had a really uh, he'd sling it really heavy strings and then he'd put like four a's in there right on his on out of the six strings four of them would be open a uh-huh. and uh, then he'd construct songs like that it was just it was pretty astounding uh, thing yeah I mean I've and Almost the other like thing a drone. Yeah, well, there was uh, somehow he, you know, some of the times it was a bit of a drone. Sometimes he seemed to use them in uh, like they were counterpoint to each other. I don't know how he did it. He was a master finger picker, and uh, so he just just seemed to know how to do it. I can always send you some of his music. That, uh, um, now, you finger pick as well. So how did that come? Did that come fairly naturally for you? Because a lot of people, uh, you know, find that pretty difficult. Did you... Uh, that's another element of your... Well, um, I, I thank you for the compliment. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not an adept finger picker, in my opinion. Um, and I don't practice enough. I, you know, I, you're, you're a songwriter and you're a performer and you go out there and, and play in front of people a lot. My, my directive is to write the song and to be done with it and to move on to the next song. I, I do not enjoy performing in public, which is kind of uh, blasphemy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I don't practice enough. You know, uh, it, it always, it, it's always a nervous uh, exercise for me when I know I've got to go out and perform because <laughs> I'll, I'll just over practice uh, because I'm not used to doing it. It's right. not intuitive to me. I don't connect well with audiences and and as such uh i'm not really a practiced guitarist either um i i love playing the guitar it soothes me it's it's calming but when i'm writing a song i like to finish the song and move on to the next one and and the other a uh, couple of weeks ago i was called upon to play at the katrine park and and uh, i practiced for about a week and it came back to me eventually, you know, but some of these old songs like Ghost Town and, right. and Dear Dirty Dublin, I don't play on a regular basis. And I really have to remember how I played them. Yeah. Um, it, it's, well, it's hard to explain, but. Well, no, I can. Uh, I don't I don't go into the zone. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially if you're using altered tunings or something like that. Right. So you have to that that takes a lot of uh, right. rethinking. Um Whereas, you know, sometimes with standard tuning, you just be got, and you're not playing covers. So, you know, that makes it even more, makes it even more challenging. I mean, that was something I wanted to ask you about because the normal course of uh, guitar players is, of course, learn four chords and then join a band, right? Did you follow that path at all? Right. No, I, um, I don't play well with the other kids. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> My um, my style of playing is, is so different. Um, I did try that a couple of times in Buffalo right. when I was aspiring to be a songwriter. And uh, and uh, I just never found anybody I was compatible with. And Buffalo's songwriting community was so cliquish. I just, I I didn't know the Disney handshake. And I, <laughs> I just, um, I found I, I was better off alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, uh, 
and 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 many of the song songwriters I know are are like that. They really are uh, loners. They ultimately they'll, they'll hire on a, a hired gun who's a, a really good guitarist who can fill in with them. But they uh, yeah. but they have to be in charge of what's going on. And and in a band, it's a more democratic situation. And I I don't think I I I don't think that would go well with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a it's a different experience for sure, right? I mean, um, I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what David Crosby has been going through, but you know, in the last f- five, in the last ten years, he's released five extraordinary albums, some of the best of his, and he's eighty years old, right? And he said that the reason, or, yeah. He, he claims that the reason he's been able to have this third life as a songwriter is because he learned to get out of the way and collaborate with other people. And he's he's really, really grateful for it. And right. Of course, he, he kind of made up, he made that, that's sort of been part of his path anyway because he was in so many different bands and things like that. Buy Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Um, now, you finger pick as well. So how did that come? Did that come fairly naturally for you? Because a lot of people, uh, you know, find that pretty difficult. Did you... Uh, that's another element of your... Well, um, I, I thank you for the compliment. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not an adept finger picker, in my opinion. Um, and I don't practice enough. I, you know, I, you're, you're a songwriter and you're a performer and you go out there and, and play in front of people a lot. My, my directive is to write the song and to be done with it and to move on to the next song. I I do not enjoy performing in public, which is kind of uh, blasphemy, I guess. Uh, And uh, so I don't practice enough. You know, uh, it, it always, it's always a nervous uh, exercise for me when I know I've got to go out and perform because I'll, I'll just over practice uh, because I'm not used to doing it. It's not intuitive to me. I don't connect well with audiences and and as such uh i'm not really a practiced guitarist either um i i love playing the guitar it soothes me it's it's calming but when i'm writing a song i like to finish the song and move on to the next one and and the other a uh, couple of weeks ago i was called upon to play at the katrine park and and uh, i practiced for about a week and it came back to me eventually, you know, but some of these old songs like Ghost Town and, right. and Dear Dirty Dublin, I don't play on a regular basis and I really have to remember how I played them. Yeah. Um, it, it's, well, it's hard to explain, but. Well, no, I can. Uh, I don't, I don't go into the zone. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially if you're using altered tunings or something like that, right? So you have to, that, that takes a lot of uh, right. rethinking. Um Whereas, you know, sometimes with standard tuning, you just be got, and you're not playing covers. So, you know, that makes it even more, <laughs> makes it even more challenging. I mean, that was something I wanted to ask you about because the normal course of uh, guitar players is, of course, learn four chords and then join a band, right? Did you follow that path at all? Right. No, I, um, I don't play well with the other kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> My um, my style of playing is, is so different. Um, I did try that a couple of times in Buffalo right. when I was aspiring to be a songwriter. 
and uh, and uh, I just never found anybody I was compatible with. And Buffalo's songwriting community was so cliquish. I just I I didn't know the Disney handshake, and I, I just um, I found I I was better off alone. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and, and, and many of the song, songwriters I know are, are like that. They really are uh, loners. They ultimately, they'll, they'll hire on a, a hired gun who's a, a really good guitarist who can fill in with them, but they, uh, yeah. but they have to be in charge of what's going on. And, and in a band, it's a more democratic situation. And I, I don't think I, I, I don't think that would go well with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a different experience for sure, right? I mean, um, I, don't know, right. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what David Crosby has been going through, but, you know, in the last five, in the last 10 years, he's released five extraordinary albums, some of the best of his, and he's 80 years old, right? And he said that the reason... Or, yeah. He, he claims that the reason he's been able to have this third life as a songwriter is because he learned to get out of the way and collaborate with other people. And he's, he's really, really grateful for it. And right. Of course, he, he kind of made a... He made that... That's sort of been part of his path anyway because he was in so many different bands and things like that. Typically, um, a songwriter does is start sending stuff out to publishing houses and uh, things like that. Did you chase any of that down? Did you try to find people that would, that might. Yeah, with, during those first five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a book called uh, the songwriters workbook or, or songwriters handbook. And it had a list of probably 2000 publishers, uh, record companies, agents, etc. And I wrote, query letters to probably 500 people. Right. And uh, I sent out my music to certain people. Of course, you know, unsolicited, your music's unlikely to be heard. Right. You have to put out a query letter first, as you know, you right. know the, the, the role, the, the program. Yeah. And um, I did that. And I got some interesting responses back. I wallpapered a wall of my apartment in Buffalo with rejection right. notices right. from people. Yeah this song goes on and on and nowhere and you right, know, yeah. just terribly critical yeah. remarks. And that was probably the beginning of the end for me. You know, when I realized number one, I didn't have what it took to make it in the commercial music industry, which is not necessarily true. It just means that I didn't reach anybody. I, nobody heard my music and was inspired by it. Yeah. You know, even the best artists rely on uh, somebody who is successful in the music industry, recognizing their art and their talent. And nobody did that. And, and that happens to a lot of people who would be otherwise deserving of success. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is with all art. Well, my, my view of that was that I just didn't understand the nature of the business. So when I was young, younger, I had a, a, a a much more romantic, uh, view of all of this so I didn't realize that it's it's a, a business just like so when I ran my own business I finally started to realize what kind of uh, work you have to really do to make something successful right and uh, 
And that's when it hit me. Sure. Oh, oh, that's what you got to do as a songwriter. <laughs> you know, you got to be willing to go out yeah. and do those jams at two o'clock in the morning and that sort of thing. And but it, yeah, you're right. I mean, the uh, the barriers of entry in those days, particularly, because I mean, we must be talking like early '70s and that period was was very arduous because there was. Well, it was it was more like '82, '83. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're a little younger. Yeah, you're a little younger than I am. So I mean, it was it was challenging to say the least. But eventually, you know, I guess if you found some inroads, I, I don't know how it works. I mean. Because certainly I went everywhere too, trying to. Did you try to write songs with hooks and all of that? Did you study that aspect of songwriting? You know, like, you know, put the hook at the first. Yeah, I, four I, I bars don't think and... I ever went with. No, no. Uh, to, to be to be uh, in in a, in a word, no. Yeah. Uh, I I I modeled my songwriting after uh, musicians and and uh, and bands that i found interesting i i started to deconstruct songs and to see what i liked about them right. and many times it was the musical arrangement or um it was rarely the lyrical content right. interestingly enough yeah in, in the old days i was i was music based right and um i i realized um that maybe my songs just didn't fit into the right category to be popular music but then at the at the same time i realized that um i i couldn't be that person and still enjoy. I, I love writing songs. Don't get me that. That's, that's my passion. Right. I love the art of writing songs. That's my, my creative outlet. It's my catharsis. It's what I like to do. Um, writing for an audience is an entirely different thing. And when you start to get, when you start to blend the business and the, the art, uh, sometimes one is mutually exclusive of the other. So you've been listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. This is volume 65. Can you imagine? My name is Douglas McLean, and it's my great privilege to speak to artists from around the world in many, many genres. And certainly Jamie Oppenheimer, our guest today, is one of the great Canadian songwriters. Please be sure to tune in to other podcasts from Hunters Bay Radio on SoundCloud.